Well, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 25. We're going to look at a man named Agrippa. Agrippa, his other name is Herod. Maybe you recognize that from the Bible, huh? He's a great-grandson of Herod the Great. And we're going to give a title to our message. We don't always do that. This morning, we're going to call it Living for Others the Wrong Way. Living for others the wrong way. Uh, we're going to set the scene by reading uh, the first part of chapter 25, but we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 26, we will, which we will read as we go. So uh, let's start reading here in chapter 25, verse 1. <clears throat> uh, now, when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. By the way, don't get confused by the prepositions up and down in here. When we think up, you know, we look at our map and we think that means they're going this way, right? And when they're going down, they're going this way. Actually, in this case, when he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, he went this way. Because Caesarea is up north and Jerusalem's down south. But it's higher in elevation. And they generally think of Jerusalem as kind of being on a mountain and Caesarea is on the coast low. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem. Why? Well, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. That's why. It's a trap to kill Paul. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, this is how he answered, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, by the way, that's a little illustration of the title this morning, Living for Others the Wrong Way. Festus, why is he doing this for the Jews? Is it because he loves the Jews? No, it's to gain popularity with them, maybe even popularity with Caesar himself. It's a self-serving thinking of others. Anyway, wanting to do the Jews a favor, he answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? What's going to happen if he goes to Jerusalem? Ambush. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. That's the magic words. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And after some days, King Agrippa, now this guy's higher 
than Festus. He's the king. And Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Remember, this is a new job. Festus just inherited the job from Felix, the previous governor. So Agrippa's going to come and, you know, welcome him aboard. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. We're not going to read all of it. He just summarizes Paul's case to Agrippa and basically says, uh, I'm going to send him off to Caesar, but I'm not sure what to write in the case. Uh, I'm not sure what he's done wrong, what charge I should write. So he concludes his uh, introduction to Agrippa here in verse 21. He says, but when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Okay, we'll pause there. So, I love God's word. There's something in it for everyone, beginning with salvation. But by that, I also mean that um, God describes uh, motives and actions of everybody from the poor to the uh, rich, from the weak to the strong. Everyone from blind Bartimaeus, a beggar, to Agrippa, the king. This guy's like right underneath Caesar himself. And whenever God writes about people like this, uh, he will tell us things in their heart that you're not going to read in the historians. It's wonderful. <clears throat> so this morning as we study Agrippa, I want you to notice that he is a man living for others the wrong way. What I mean by that is he places the opinion of other people higher than the opinion of God. It's more important to him what other people think about him than what God thinks. You understand? You follow me? And so he lives uh, for the opinion of others, for their admiration, for uh, their respect. Now, all of us can relate to this to one extent or another. Uh, I remember particularly in high school, you know, that seems to be the age where it's most noticeable. Everybody's in a, in a group, and within that group of people, it's still true even when you, you uh, get older, um, there are certain ways that you dress, you speak, people you should know, music you listen to, activities you engage in. And if you do the right things, if you behave correctly, you are accepted. Can you relate to this? No? Nobody's ever been there. Okay, somebody has. Good. And if you don't behave the right way, you're rejected. Now, most people don't like being rejected. And so they will uh, govern their behavior based on what other people think they should be doing. Right? Call it peer pressure. That's living for others the wrong way because sometimes we can get so caught up in pleasing other people that when it comes to God, and we have to make a choice, who am I going to please, men or God? The security, the acceptance of other people is so great that we, we can't let go of it. And so we'd rather please men 
than please God. And that's a fatal mistake. <clears throat> it says about uh, the, some of the Jews in the book of uh, John, says, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Why? For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Isn't that silly, by the way, when you think about it? You know, to think that uh, it's more important what other people think of me rather than what God thinks. And yet it's, it's, it's still true today. I would venture to say that this is probably the greatest factor that keeps people from coming to Christ. The fear of being rejected by their friends and ostracized, cast out. And they'd rather keep their friends and be accepted by whatever their circle is uh, than give their life to Christ and say, forget what other people think. I just care about what God thinks. Certainly, uh, that's where we're going to find Agrippus. And, and Festus, by the way. He's an illustration of that as well. By, by doing this, by, by living for other people the wrong way, we run the risk of cutting ourselves off from God. And when faced with the eternal choice, God or other people, most people fear the disapproval of others so much that they would rather reject God, leading their own eternal destruction. This is not a small issue. <clears throat> Where are you this morning? Whose approval is more important to you? Your friends or Jesus? It's either one or the other. It can't be both. It's interesting. <clears throat> Jesus uh, made the distinction. <clears throat> when he said you can't serve two masters, he was talking mainly about money, but certainly it applies as well to who you please. Because there are two value systems, God's and the world's. And it says in Luke, uh, Jesus said this, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. <clears throat> okay, so we have Agrippa here. He's a Jew. As I said, he's a great-grandson of Herod the Great. He was educated in the emperor's palace. He was appointed by Claudius, the uh, emperor of Rome, as king. He's rich, he's powerful, he's notoriously immoral. In fact, uh, even the Romans thought it was a scandal, uh, his lifestyle. You get an idea of his living to please others and buttering his bread on the right side, as we say. Later in his life, when the Jewish revolt occurred around 66 AD, because suddenly he switched sides and he sided with Rome against his own people in order to uh, keep his position and probably his life. And so he lived to the ripe old age of 70 and died in 100 AD. But he lived a, a life of luxury and acceptance until the day he died. And then he found out too late that it was more important to think of God first. Well, so here we are. Uh, Paul has appealed to Rome. Uh, Agrippa's come, he just happened to come by and uh, he wants to listen to uh, what Paul has to say. And now we're going to uh, explain a few mysterious uh, verses in here as we go along. Um, because there are some places where it sounds like, well, Agrippa is really uh, close to getting saved and so on, but you'll see that he's not. He's, he's definitely more concerned about the opinion of others 
than of God. So when he says, I'd like to hear the man uh, myself, it's, it's most probably just curiosity. He knows the scripture. He's a Jew and he's interested. You know, what does this guy have to say? <clears throat> so let's go back to the passage now, verse 23. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And we can't imagine the spectacle that there must have been here at the entrance of Agrippa. He's used to this. He doesn't just walk into a room, okay? There's a parade and there's a party when he arrives anywhere. He expects it. It's his life. He, he's accepted. He's loved. He's at love. He's admired, you know, by the public. And it's what his life is all about. The word there, by the way, pomp, great pomp, it says. It's interesting. In the original, it's fantasia, which might sound familiar to you if you've ever heard of Walt Disney's movie Fantasia. That's the picture. You got it? Okay. So we got Fantasia going on here as uh, Agrippa comes in, okay? Now I want you to pause and think. This guy is a sinner in need of a savior. Do you understand? He's nobody special. You take the robes off and the power. In fact, when he dies and he's lying there, he looks just like Bartimaeus when he died, the blind beggar. He's a, he's a sinner in need of a savior. But he's accumulated so much like a cocoon around himself to insulate himself, you know, of power and and riches and uh, the high opinion of people and so on, that uh, it's going to be hard for him now to say no to that. He's going to have to make a choice. And the interesting thing to me is that God chose this place and this time to bring Agrippa to the brink of eternity in public. You understand? Right when he's at the height of his popularity, when everybody's watching. How easy is it going to be for him to say, Paul, you're right. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I want Jesus. What do you think? Now, it's not impossible, but now you understand why Jesus said how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's hard to say no. Like Paul said, what? All that stuff that I thought was so great and I was so important and all that acceptance and popularity, I counted as so much rubbish now compared to the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Well, that's, that's where God wants him to go. Okay? And Paul's going to try to help him there. So as we go through this now, watch Agrippa, but more importantly, watch Paul as he deals uh, with Agrippa. <clears throat> now, one more illustration before we actually get into uh, the interview here, and uh, for that I have to dip into my lunchbox. <clears throat> this is a, a homemade phylactery. Okay. 
That's so funny. <laughs> this is culturally acceptable in some places. Do you understand? In fact, it's impressive. Jesus said <clears throat> about the Pharisees, but all their works they do to be seen by men. You, know, you got that? You got the connection? They want to impress people. They want people to speak highly of them. And so they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. I don't know what that means, but I guess it was really, you know, t- things change through culture and time. Today, making the uh, hem of your garment large is not the thing. It's to have the crotch of your pants dragging on the ground. <laughs> it changes, okay? When I was younger... If you had pants that were ripped, okay, you threw them in the trash. (laughs) Today, you pay top dollar to buy them pre-ripped. Am I right? Okay. You get the idea? Now, this may look strange, but it didn't in the day of Jesus. Man, when the Pharisees walked down the street like this, people would go, wow, he's cool. That guy is cool. And why do they do it? To be seen by men. To live for others. Their approval. Their acceptance. To be popular. They had no interest in God. Jesus said that. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of the garments. They love the best places at feasts. The best seats in the synagogue. You know, oh, please sit up here. You know. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Now, that's not true today with us in our culture. And within this room, there are many different cultures represented when you think about it. But the principle is exactly the same. It hasn't changed. There is behavior. There is dress, uh, speech. We could go on and on. That is accepted and people will like you. And if you don't do it, you're rejected. It's that simple. It hasn't changed. So, uh, after, by, by the way, you know where the Pharisees got this idea, right? Deuteronomy, where uh, the Lord talked about his law. And he said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and so on. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and it, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's where they get it. Now, was God talking about making a little box and and putting it on their head when he said that be his frontlets? No. What he meant was my words. I want you to be uh, conscious of them all the time. Think of them, meditate on them, obey them. That's what he meant. But it's so much more impressive to go around, you know, with this. And so, I mean, if, if a small one is good, right? This, this, this was the later fashion in, uh, in phylacteries here. Right? They broadened their phylacteries. That's what Jesus is talking about. Right? Now, this kind of stuff doesn't happen today, though, does it? I remember that, uh, it, it, when I was a younger guy that... Um, the only people that pierced themselves were people in third world countries. It's happened in my lifetime. And, and it began with a ring right here or here, depending on, you know, your orientation. 
right? But, you know, like broadening the phylacteries. Well, if one piercing is good, two is better, right? And now, I mean, we won't go into detail, but the whole anatomy is pierced. Head to foot. You know, broadening the phylactery, right? Why? To be seen of men. Now, you may ask people, young people and they say, well, I do it because I want to do it. You know why you want to do it? Because your friends want you to do it. That's why. There's a great uh, uh, joke in Punch. Punch uh, is, uh, or is and was uh, a British uh, humor magazine of... Um, one of these conservative banker types in London walking down the street in a bowler hat. You know what I'm talking about? In a suit, right? And an umbrella in his hand. One guy walking down the sidewalk. And coming toward him is this big group of, they're obviously hippies. This was done in the 60s. You know, they all look disheveled. They all, the guys have beards, uh, ponytail uh, with, a, with a rubber band on it, bandanas, paisley shirts. Okay, sandals, you getting the idea? They all look the same. But they're nonconformists. And, and as he's coming, they, they all sneer at him and they say, all right, go ahead, run with the herd. Isn't that good? Yeah, so we can relate to this. So that in, this, in, the, in uh, Jesus' day, this was the mark of coolness. Now, by saying that, I've just betrayed even my ignorance because it's probably not the right word to use in some circles. Cool. That's a very old word. You know, as time goes on, you have a different word for what's good. When I was younger, there were words like cherry. Usually you applied that to a car. A car is cherry. You remember that? Right? Or boss. Remember that? That's gone. In fact, if you use that word, you date yourself. Okay? I do remember awesome and gnarly and uh, rad, okay? I don't use them myself. But uh, times, I don't know what it is now. You know, maybe I could ask some of you younger people. See, but even there, you see the vocabulary changes. And you're either in the group or you're out of the group, depending on how you talk. When, when I was younger, you know, there was a phrase, I'm in with the in crowd. You know, you're cool. You, you say the right things, you go the right places, you, you have the right friends and so on. Okay. So that's the issue that we're up against here. Except for Agrippa, he's reached such a, a high point uh, in his life that he has more to give up if he's going to uh, come to Christ. He's going to have to risk being rejected, not just by the public, but uh, people back in Rome, like Caesar himself. He becomes a Christian. Uh, there's no doubt he would be kicked out of his public office. So let's, let's see what happens here. And by the way, uh, Agrippa is an example of what not to do. Paul is an example of a man who lives to please others for the right reason. So he's the positive example. To Paul, it's more important what God thinks of him than what men think. And he's willing to risk men's disapproval in order to please God. You understand? That's, that's the, the right way. And watch how Paul masterfully uh, brings Agrippa to the place of choice. By the way, uh, this is the last introductory comments. 
when you share your testimony with someone, you've learned by now, generally it's a good idea to have three distinct, very clear uh, parts of your testimony. You remember what they are. What my life was like before I was saved, how I got saved, and then what my life has been like after I was saved. You're going to see that very clearly here in Paul's remarks. Remember, but he's only supposed to be talking about this religious debate and how he hasn't done anything wrong. Okay? But I'll promise you, I don't know when Paul found out when Agrippa the king was going to be there, but he's been praying for this guy. He's on his heart, and you can tell while he's talking. He wants to see that man saved. Okay. Uh, Now uh, we're into... um, 25, we'll we'll skip the introduction of Festus in 24 through 27. Festus just summarizes why we're all here. And I want you to listen, Agrippa, and see what you think. So in chapter 26, verse 1, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. And here's what he says. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, Because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Okay, good introduction. Now, it looks like Paul's buttering him up. He's trying to please Agrippa. But what's he really doing? He's building a bridge for the gospel. You understand? He's reminding Agrippa that he's knowledgeable about these things. He's a Jew himself. And he's really winning a hearing for the gospel. Agrippa doesn't know that yet. Okay. Uh, So, you might call this part one of his testimony. Paul's life before he was saved. Verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. We're going to stop there. Now, that's the before Paul got saved. I want you to notice a couple of things. He begins in verses 4 and 5, stressing his upbringing, the fact that he was a diehard Pharisee. The, the Jews know it. He was well known to be. Uh, later he's going to talk about being a persecutor of the church. Why is he doing this? Well, 
uh, first of all, to show, look, I've not always been like the way I am now. Something happened in my life to change me drastically. That's the way I used to be. Just like all, in fact, I was like the guys that are accusing me. And uh, later when he talks about these terrible things he did to the church, you see, here's a guy who needs to be saved. And he's showing his life before without Christ, before God changed him. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, when he talks about the hope, the hope he's talking about there, of course, is the hope of the Messiah, the promise of the Messiah. You may wonder about verse 8. It's almost like, what? In the middle of this discourse, Paul says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? It helps uh, to know that in the original, in the Greek, the word you there is plural. He's not talking just to Agrippa. In fact, not probably not primarily to Agrippa. Here he's standing back and he's addressing the whole uh, auditorium, mostly Gentiles and some Jews here. And he's already get, he's challenging them in their thinking. I love this. You know, uh, they're they're kind of following this little biography, and all of a sudden he he addresses everyone, and he says, "Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead?" That's going to hit you between the eyes. That's good. Get you thinking. Do that sometime, by the way. And if you ever get in a discussion with someone about creation or evolution, you know. Just ask them, why is it so incredible to you to think that God couldn't just speak and the universe came into existence? Why can't God do that? And that's what Paul's doing. He said, why can't God raise the dead? What's, what's so big about that? He's, he's stressing the resurrection because it's going to become important later. So he's bringing it up early to get them thinking. Okay. Um, so, and he's portrayed himself as a persecutor of the church, just a diehard Pharisee, the before. He was a different man. That's the point. Now, this is cool because uh, so far Agrippa and the others, Festus, are probably thinking, okay, well, yeah, he's, he's going to explain uh, his behavior and maybe the theology behind it and so on. But what Paul is doing is he's setting up his own life as a testimony to show how Jesus Christ changed his life. You understand? He has ulterior motives because he'd rather please God than please men. So they called this thing to hear a defense of Paul's actions. Paul's going to turn it around and use it as an opportunity to share the gospel with the king. Okay, part uh, two, how I was saved, verse 13. Uh, Paul says, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. 
to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay. We're starting to get a little personal here now, aren't we? And Paul is introducing the idea that his religion is not religion in the normal sense. It's a relationship with a person. You following that? You see that? I met Jesus. Uh, Verses 17 and 18, by the way, he's uh, getting into the gospel proper. Talking about things like Satan and sins and forgiveness, which is what Agrippa needs to hear. Okay, Uh, finally, third part, number three in a testimony, my life since being saved. And here's what Paul says in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. By the way, Agrippa, you need to do that too. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Okay, uh, first of all, verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, he's saying, look, I got this vision from God. What else could I do? I have to obey God. I love verse 22. He says, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. First of all, he says, having obtained help from God. His message is not to be ignored. That's what he's saying there. You need to listen, Agrippa. He says, to this day, I've received help from God. In other words, right now, standing before you. Uh, And then he says, witnessing. We have to be careful. We're so used to that word. Oh, I was out witnessing the other day. Paul means very specifically when he says witnessing, He means, as an eyewitness of the risen Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He sent me out to tell other people of what I have seen with my own eyes. And I'm telling you today. And that's in the, by the way, small and great. Did you catch that? He said, "I've, I've talked to the lowly about Jesus and I'm talking to the great. And what he's saying by that is, it's the same message for both. You got that? He's putting a grip on the same ground as the small. (laughs) Same message. One message. Doesn't mean difference who you are. That's wonderful. By saying that, he's telling Agrippa, Agrippa, you're nobody special. That cocoon of greatness that you have before others is a sham. You need Christ as badly as the small. 
You're a nobody in the sight of God. There's no um, custom version of the gospel, you know, one for the great and one for the small, one for the rich, one for the poor, one for men and one for women. There's one gospel. We are getting a, a new car the other day for my wife as her old one bit the dust. Toyota, like other car manufacturers, uses little abbreviations to distinguish between the levels of their models. So uh, Toyota uses three sequences of letters, C-E-L-E and X-L-E. X, uh, L-E, of course, means luxury edition, right? Something a little better. X-L-E means extra luxury edition. C-E is the lowest, and we call it the cheap edition. <laughs> but that's not what they would never do that. So they call it the custom edition. Doesn't that sound better? Okay. So that anyone you slice it, you're getting something better than all the others. Okay. Well, for the small, there's not a cheap edition. And for the great, there's not an XLE. Jesus Christ died for you, a sinner. That's it. So here we are. Kind of at the first uh, uh, stopping point, if you will, because... Uh, Paul is addressing Agrippa personally, and he's, he's making it very pointed here. I'm talking to you, Agrippa, and we're talking about things like sin and forgiveness and repentance. And the question is, will Agrippa acknowledge this in front of this impressive audience? It's so hard, and yet he's, he must to save his soul. You know, the Bible records... responses of many different people to Jesus. I mentioned blind Bartimaeus. He's probably the lowest guy in the Bible. Think of this guy. He's a beggar and he's blind. They had to lead him out every day to the gates of the city so he could sit there, you know, and ask for alms. Lowest of the low. He's the small. The interesting thing is he had his priorities right because he didn't care what other people thought. He only cared about Jesus. You understand? He's the opposite of Agrippa. If you remember, when he heard that Jesus was coming by, what did he do? He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? You know, to kind of yell out in front of people like that. He didn't care. And when he yelled out, you know what they did? They told him to shut up. You know, you don't do that. Jesus is an important guy. He's walking by. Be quiet. You're disturbing the scene. You know what it says? So he cried out all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't that good? He wasn't interested in the opinion of other people. If they thought he was a weirdo, fine. He wanted help from Jesus. And so he's going to keep yelling until he gets it. He's focused on Jesus. And he's blocking everybody out. Isn't that good? I've seen people like that when God finally gets through and convicts them of sin. You know, suddenly all they care about is I need Jesus. You see, you can see it. They mean business with God. We don't um, do like a lot of churches do. I remember uh, I got saved through a Baptist friend and at their church, like many Baptist churches, 
When the preacher got done with an evangelistic message, they had what was called an invitation. You, you know about that, right? You've seen Billy Graham and so on. He'd finish his message, and then he'd say, now, if anybody wants to get saved, I want you to come forward at the end of the message. And they'd sing some closing hymn like, just as I am. You know, there's something to be said for that. Someone coming up publicly. I think that's good. I like to see that in people. You know, we've had it happen a couple of times here. I remember one young woman, I mean, she'd never be caught dead talking to the elders, let alone coming up forward. But after a Sunday message, God got, she, he just hit her square in the heart. And she got up. I turned around and there she was standing with tears in her eyes and she wanted to talk. Man, that was good. She got saved that day. She meant business with God. She didn't care what other people thought. Bartimaeus was like that. Another example of that, of course, was the, the woman. We don't even know her name. In Simon the Pharisee's house who wept at the feet of Jesus. Remember her? You can't imagine uh, what the people were thinking about her while she was making that noise and fuss and commotion in the middle of dinner. Ruining their dinner. While she sat at the feet of Jesus weeping and uh, moistening his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. You don't think that was a distraction? Do you think she cared? No. It says Simon the Pharisee thought to himself. Another place where we know what people think, thanks to God. If Jesus knew what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner, he wouldn't let her be doing this. (laughs) How little he knew Jesus, huh? But the point is, she didn't care what other people thought. The only opinion in that whole room she cared about in the whole world was Jesus. And if other people thought she was an embarrassment or an outcast, or as I said, we don't know her name, she's just called a sinner. You know, so be it. They were saying, Bartimaeus and this woman, the acceptance of Jesus is worth more than the acceptance of the whole world. It's a wonderful word, by the way, to be accepted. Isn't it good to be accepted? Do you know what it says about us as believers? We are accepted in the beloved, in Jesus. Wow. I can quit. I'm done. I'm right. I'm accepted, man, by God in Jesus. Well, uh, there are three responses of Agrippa throughout this interview. And the first response is right here. And if you're looking for him to say anything, you're not going to find it. His response is silence. It's time for him to say something to at least answer Paul, who's been addressing him, and clearly he's speaking to him about his own condition. But he doesn't say anything. The interesting thing is Festus speaks up. Verse 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. I want you to notice that. Why did Festus do that? I want you to notice, by the way, he said it with a loud voice. Have you ever been in a situation with someone and you're talking about spiritual things and they're really getting uncomfortable? And so they'll either just suddenly change the subject or they'll make a little joke, you know, or do something else, right, to break the tension. Have you ever sensed that? By the way, Uh, breaking the tension or easing the tension is another expression for quenching the spirit. 
And that's what Festus is trying to do here. Now, why would Festus do this? I'll tell you why he would do it. Uh, some people think, well, you know, uh, he should have done that because Agrippa didn't want him to do it. Oh, no, that's, you're, you're wrong. Festus has been kowtowing to Agrippa throughout this whole thing. Look, uh, Agrippa's the king. Festus is just the governor. Agrippa could do good things for Festus. He's already demonstrated he'll do whatever it takes. And so here he is. He's reading Agrippa, and he knows Agrippa's getting a little uh, uncomfortable with the way this thing is going. What's Paul doing addressing Agrippa about his spiritual welfare? And so Festus, in order to, you know, kind of earn a few points with Agrippa, he cuts in to spare Agrippa the embarrassment. You understand? And he yells out like, ha, Paul, you're, you're nuts. You've been reading too many books. Probably got a little bit of uh, laughter from the audience, too, at that point, you know, kind of ease the situation. Great way to, to gain favor with Agrippa. Spares Agrippa from having to say anything. And it eases the tension. That's why he did it. Notice Agrippa doesn't intervene and say, wait a minute, Festus, give the guy a chance. I want to hear what he says. He didn't say anything. Well, Paul, bless his heart, just plows right on. Verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. And now he's, he's focusing on Agrippa. So as quick as he can, he gets back to Agrippa. Verse 26, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. And then, and by the way, notice Agrippa is still not saying a word. Verse 27, Paul is going to address Agrippa and ask him a question since just kind of just speaking generally doesn't seem to elicit a response. Maybe if you ask him a question, right? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Now, it's unfortunate it's all run together in one verse. It's like Paul said, King Agrippa, do you know the prophets? I know that you believe. He didn't say it like that. It doesn't make any sense. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And you know what Agrippa said? Nothing. That's right. You understand why he said nothing? Look, think about it. If he were to say yes, he'd be committing himself. You understand? If he'd say no, uh-oh, you're a Jew, you don't believe your own scriptures? So, like so many of the Pharisees before him in Jesus' time, Agrippa chooses that, what he thinks to be middle road. You don't say anything. And so there's a pause there that you don't see in your Bible. When Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And he gets no response. Paul, bless his heart, wants Agrippa so much to come to the truth that he, that he answers for him. And he says, I know that you do believe. Still, Agrippa says nothing. Until verse 28. And what he says is very interesting. And, and people love this because it sounds like Agrippa saying, man, I'm almost ready to get saved. He's not saying that. 
Here's what it says in my Bible. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Well, I hate to burst your bubble. The word almost there, it's, it's, not, it's the wrong word. It's not almost. It's literally in a little while or better with very little effort. That's what it means. And what Agrippa is saying, it's, it's another joke like Festus. You think in, in this short of a while, you're going to make me a Christian? It's, it's, again, easing the situation. It's taking the tension off. Do you understand? It's, it's uh, sarcasm. It's, it's not, oh, man, I'm about ready to get saved. And we'll see that from his behavior before and his behavior to come here as well. And I could see maybe a little nervous laughter from the audience. Ha, <laughs> ha. Paul thinks he's going to get this guy to become a Christian in a few minutes. You know? Well, this is wonderful. Paul's high point in this whole thing is verse 29. Uh, with, with Festus mocking him and Agrippa, Paul says this in serious response to Agrippa's statement. Verse 29, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Wow. Isn't that good? He's taking him up on it. First of all, look, this is no joke. He's saying it with great earnest, by the way. Listen to those words. I would to God. I mean this as seriously as possible. But here's the, here's the clincher. No matter how you slice it, Paul is saying, you need what I've got. <laughs> Isn't he? He's talking to this king. He's the subject speaking to the king. He's the prisoner talking to the judge. <laughs> He's this guy standing in chains to the guy up on the throne. And he says, you need what I have, Christ. That's what he means. Your wealth, your position, your power are nothing. Though men highly esteem you, you're a nobody in God's sight. You're a great sinner in great need of God's great forgiveness. If there's anything great here, it's God. I love Hebrews. You know, how shall we escape if we neglect so what? So great a salvation. That's right. Wow. So get the picture here, okay? Paul, the prisoner, has just told Agrippa, Agrippa to his face, you got nothing, Agrippa. What I have, you need. And it's salvation through Jesus Christ. You need that, King Agrippa. What do you think happened to the audience when he said that? I think you could have heard a pin drop at that point. You know? To hear this guy talking to the king this way? This nobody? Well, this if there was a critical juncture in the interview, this is it. He's brought Agrippa to the brink of eternity. But it's up to Agrippa to choose. And he must choose. And what he needs to do is acknowledge that his life has been worthless up to this point. In fact, the woman he's with, he's living in immorality with, along with all those other sins. And acknowledge that the high opinion of men uh, up until this point has been a lie and his life is a house built on sand. It could happen. 
Like Peter said to Jesus when he said how hard it is for the rich to be saved. And Peter said, well, how are people going to be saved? And Jesus said, well, with men it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And our Bibles could read it another way. Agrippa could, you know, lay his throne down, take his purple robes off and say, go down there and stand beside Paul and say, you're right, Paul. I need Jesus too. It could have happened. But the Bible reads a different way. We heard Agrippa's second response there. That one was verbal. You know, you're thinking just a little while, you're going to make me a Christian. His third response after uh, Paul's uh, earth-shattering words is in verse 30. When he, that is Paul, when he had said these things, please notice, the king did what? He stood up. That's right. You know what that means? End of interview. We're done. I don't want to hear any more. I think, I, I don't, I think he didn't say anything because he already tried that once. <laughs> and look where it got him. You know? You think you're going to, in a little while, you're going to make me a Christian? Paul's response, I would to God you were just like me except for these chains. Wow. Maybe with a guy like that, it's best just not to say anything. And so he has the power to just terminate this thing whenever he wants. And he does that by standing up. Because when he stands up, nobody else stays sitting down. Everybody's going to get up and it's, we're done. So that's his third response. And it's an emphatic no. Um, He made his choice. I don't know the rest of Agrippa's life. I have a feeling this is the closest he ever came to the right side of eternity. I think it was downhill after that. God brought him as close as he could, but he refused to go in. the, The opinion of others was just so great. Well, uh, it ends this way. Agrippa and Ephesus go off in the back room, and it says, verse 31, When they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Why does God put that there? I want you to notice, they don't say anything about the, the details of what Paul had just challenged Agrippa with. You know, you'd like to see Agrippa say, you know, Paul really made me think. I need to think about these things, my relationship with God. <laughs> Particularly with the words fresh in his mind. But no, you know, they, they've lapsed back into the safe conversation of, you know, the judicial uh, elements of this case. That's very important. So often I've seen people where you really feel God is speaking to them, maybe like this on a Sunday morning or or maybe some other time. And as soon as the meeting is over or whatever, you know, immediately, let's talk about football. You know? How about those giants? You know? Or clothing or the car or the weather. Vacation, boys, girls. Anything but Jesus. You know? It's like the last time I heard about him was about six years ago. The irony in their statement, by the way, is you you get this, they're kind of pitying Paul. 
You know, it's too bad, you know, that Paul now has to go through all this. <laughs> Who needs to be pitied here? <laughs> Not Paul. Well, like I said, there's something to be said for acknowledging Jesus publicly. Now, I'm not going to ask you, you know, to come forward, although if you do, it wouldn't bother me in the least. I got saved in the living room, and so the, uh, the crowd around was just uh, some friends and uh, my wife. You never would have caught me praying. You would have caught me dead first. But praise God, finally, by His grace, He broke through to me. And I bowed down in the living room and, and uh, gave my life to Christ. But then uh, my friend, who was a believer, said, would you mind coming forward uh, next week at the, at the church? Oh, man, if he had asked me that the week before, I would have said, no way, man. But when he said that, I said, yeah. And the next Sunday service, when they had the invitation, a man with an overflowing heart, I went up there. I can't remember what I said. I didn't need to think about it. The word just came, you know. And the neat thing was, my wife, who was, to use an expression from the 60s, freaked out when I got saved. You know, she told me on the way home, I don't know if I can stay married to you. You're a Jesus freak now, you know. But the neat thing is, when I got to the front that Sunday, you know, I turned around and guess who was coming up to the front? And she hadn't been asked. Well, she had by an unseen guest, you see. She came forward in front of those hundreds of people because uh, the opinion of Jesus was a lot more important to her at that point than what anybody else thought. Jesus said this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner... Their fathers did to the prophets. You got the opinion of men and the opinion of God. What's more important to you? Huh? It's going to, it's going to be a rude awakening for those who spend their whole lives living for others the wrong way, putting so much importance on the opinion of others <laughs> and finding out in the end that the majority was wrong. Like it says in the Bible, let God be found true, though every other man be found a liar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Paul. We pray that we might learn from the example of Agrippa. And if there's anyone here who uh, considers the opinion of others, other people, more important than your opinion, that this would be the day when they would take a stand for Jesus once and for all. We ask that you would apply your word to each heart as its need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.